0: You're listening to a DM
1: podcast. Hi, I'm Nigel Marsh, and this is the Five of My Life podcast. The show where five choices reveal sideways insights into the lives, opinions, and lessons of interesting people. Maeve O'Meara's whole life revolves around food. The much-loved celebrity chef broadcaster and businesswoman, was nominated by her good friend and previous Five My Life guest, author Monica McInerney. Maeve's love of food and zest for life shine through as she takes me through her choices in this delightful conversation. So Maeve, welcome to Five My Life. Thank you, Nigel. Now you are one of those special people who uh, I call a sixer, so you have been recommended by one of my other guests. And... I'm not allowed to have favourites, but one of my all-time favourite episodes is the episode with Monica McInerney. What a sweetheart. How do you know her? I met Monica in Ireland when I did a
0: job and life swap to Dublin. I was working for SBS and… What what year are we talking? So this was 93 and I just wanted to be somewhere else in the world reporting, doing something interesting. And I had a a brilliant executive producer who went off to a conference in Rome of various um, current affairs programs. So I was working for Dateline and he managed to get me my dream, which was to have time living, working overseas. So I had a car with a sunroof, BMW with a sunroof, gorgeous uh, big um, terrace house in Donnybrook a job at RTE, which is the Irish version of the ABC, and uh, a seat, his seat in the pub. Here's my seat, me. Anyway, I wanted to do some stories for back home while I was there just to sort of prove my worth. And one of them was, oh, I wanted to talk to Roddy Doyle, the author. Oh, I so, love Roddy Doyle, oh, yeah. Great, great crack. Yeah. So I ended up ringing a publicist and it was Monica. Monica, before she became an author, looked after uh, published authors. And so we had this great chat on the phone. I did a beautiful story for SBS. And uh, we arranged to meet at Bewley's in Grafton Street. And thank God, you know, yeah. w- life's great friendship started from there.
1: Oh, just wonderful. Just wonderful. Have you, have you listened to her episode? Her yes, right I
0: have. Yeah. Yes, yes. And for anybody who hasn't listened, they need to listen to Monica. She is one of – you know how God creates incredible people? She is one.
1: Oh, she's just lovely. But I, I have to say uh, it's really wonderful to have you here now because it proves to my listeners – we've got a lovely little community. The, the, mm. the, well, say little. It's it's growing quite rapidly. But, Congrats. Uh, uh, thank you. Um, is I don't give up. So it's been <laughs> almost three years oh and you've Lord. been doing the, oh, I'm so busy, I'm off to Africa. <laughs> and I finally lassoed you into the studio. Thank so. you, Nigel. <laughs> Thank you for your persistence. Now, and um, we always start with the film and uh, you have chosen uh, the 1996 Stanley Tucci low budget classic, Big mm. Night. Mm. Could you explain the film and tell us why you've chosen it? I love food films and I particularly
0: love Big Night because it also touches on newcomers to a country, which has been a lot of my working life. So it's two brothers who, Italian brothers who come to America with great dreams of having this wonderful restaurant, Primo and Secondo. Primo is the uh, the kitchen, the chef who just You know, loves food. He loves it intensely. And Secondo is the front of house, the Stanley Tucci character, who sort of makes it all work. And there's so much in it that's so charming. Uh, The food is beautiful. There's an um, incredible pastizio, a great big celebratory dish that's made, a wonderful big night of food. But it's also the little things of, like, mixing up some eggs to make an omelette. I love it, and I love some of the lines in it that are part of our sort of family lexicon now.
1: There's a review, uh, I think it was from the Chicago Tribune, where uh, it's just rhapsodising about the film, but it says, uh, the film shows food as a language by which one can speak to gods, can create, seduce, and aspire to perfection.
0: Oh, wow. Isn't that that great? And that actually is... Food, isn't it? Yeah. It's everything. It's the glue that holds families together, and that film, in its own simple, lovely way, tells
1: that story. So, so it's it. I hadn't seen the film, which surprises me because it's got my favourite actor, Ian Holm, in it. Who mm. I, I thought I'd seen everything he'd done, which I obviously hadn't. Um, it, it's quite an affecting film. It's sort of gentle, and it grabs you. Uh, and the, the, there's there's multi layers to it. Uh, but the the brother who is the chef, mm. um, I forget the actor's name, I do apologise, um, stubborn as a mule. Yes. Stubborn as a mule. And yes. I wouldn't mind you talking to that. Is that, a, is that a trait that you share? Or Oh, gosh, no,
0: no, no, no. But I love that when he tastes something that he loves, and I have this... He tastes something he loves and he says, it's so good, it's so good, you want to kill yourself because it nothing's ever going to be better than that. So yeah. to taste incredible is is wonderful. And I love also that um, Secondo comes in with an order from the kitchen, you know, she wants risotto and she wants spaghetti <laughs> and he goes, no, I have to go and tell her, please let me go and tell yeah. her. She's got it wrong, yeah. you know, Americans and there's this, awful woman (laughs) sitting smoking at the table who, yeah, it is. it tells so many stories pictorially as well as, you know, in a food sense.
1: Um, Now, uh, two brothers. uh, You have a brother. I have a brother. Tell me about Matt.
0: Yes, my brother Matthew, who is an incredible, incredible sibling, great human. He is a paediatrician. He has... I think, it's changed lives for people. And I only hear little bits of friends who've said, oh, we saw Matt at the hospital. Matt is like, you know, I never hear. People have to tell me what incredible things that he's done. So he's run Accident and Emergency, at Prince of Wales Children's for... All his working life. In, in, here in Sydney? Yes,
1: yes, yes. Ah, my, my daughter's a nurse there,
0: right. Ah, okay. and he's also just uh, recently uh, finished his stint as Chief Paediatrician of New South Wales. So he had to do some of the press conferences during COVID, etc., and sort of had a foot in both camps. But I think... Being frontline with children. I've seen him with my own children. After waiting probably three times longer than anybody, I think the Omara surname doesn't yeah. you know, the, the triage, <laughs> I will put her down the list. But uh, no, he's he's a he's a, a great brother and and ally.
1: So when you get to the pearly gates, when, <laughs> when, when, when you're asked, what did you do with your life? Oh, I, I saved six children. I reckon, I, I reckon that's the golden ticket. To- it
0: is. Well, Nigel, you know, I, I, um, I think that I probably helped to make people's lives happier hey. and more delicious. Yeah. But I know my brothers had a much more serious role in life. And boy, you know, I'm so respectful of that.
1: Yeah, Love it. Now we're going to come to your second choice, which is always the book. Uh, and you have chosen, cause when I told my wife you'd chosen this, she go, oh, I love that book. Uh, Charmaine Solomon's Asian Cookbook. And we have a, 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 a Copy on the desk—a huge thing. That uh, from my research, it, this was responsible uh, in, in what I have read for introducing Asian cuisine into Australia. Full, full stop. I mean, before this book, you you, you know that the options available to a normal family didn't include all the wonderful stuff.
0: No, this this was an absolute game changer. And you know, Charmaine, born in Sri Lanka, um, just put a whole lot of things together that everybody needed to know. Um, some of the key ingredients. So it's every Asian cuisine with the names of ingredients explained, what to do with them, and then recipes at work. It's it It's lovely. And I was just flicking through before I came in just to see where the stains were, you know, because I, I cook and love books and, and this one is, is well used. And when we filmed uh, Charmaine for our Sri Lankan episode of Food Safari, she was delighted to see, you yeah. know, that it was messy.
1: Well, as you as you would be, isn't it? Yes. That? But, and so, so that's 76 it was published, isn't it? 76. And, and so so that's, that's I, the original copy.
0: That is, I think it – it might have been a hardcover first. I'm right. not sure, but yes. this is, is, it, is that the one she signed? The, this is the one she signed in 2007. Oh. So when we filmed her. But um, and What did she
1: write? What's the inscription?
0: Oh, happy cooking and eating. Love God Charmaine. Love Beautiful. We were in her kitchen. Uh, her husband, Reuben, was sitting on a stool, adding a few comments here and there. Yeah. No, Charmaine, no.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's lovely. He was, uh, you know, very much a family thing. And we're friends with uh, Deborah, her daughter, as well.
1: So for listeners who don't know, mm. tell us about all the books that you have written and also all the safaris that you do. And oh, yeah, well, yeah, had... This about you? It's, it's the oh, five of your life, not, so. not of Charmaine's.
0: Oh. I think I've sort of grown up hungry and grew up in a meat and three veg family and always felt that there was more out there. We're talking in East Sydney. I remember mum and dad taking us into some of the Italian restaurants here and just thinking, oh my God, this is so delicious. I want to kill myself. Yeah. Taking us into Chinatown having a sense of sort of other lives. So I've trained as a journalist in Fairfax and then went to ABC and, you know, on and on and on. But um, yeah, cookbook. So when I joined SBS in 1990, I sort of walked through the doors and I really found my people, I think. Uh, there were people, 60 different language uh, backgrounds. I think there's more now. But every, there was such a food culture there and people would talk about food at length, what they'd eaten the night before, what their mum had made, what restaurant they'd been to. And so I thought, oh, what a great idea. Why don't I assemble some of this as an internal pamphlet for staff? Brian Johns um, was then head of SBS, ex-publishing, had an open chair policy. I plonked down and he said, that's a book. And so within a week, I had a, a book contract to do something of, you know, the SBS guide to, it was then called ethnic eating. Right, That word has sort of gone by the way. And I remember way back then thinking, I wonder what word will be the word that describes this wonderful magic carpet full of food experiences. So, yeah, so guidebooks written with Joanna Saville, who was uh, my great friend who's uh, a subtitler then, is now... Oh well, she she has changed lives. I think in all the food roles that she's got. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so guidebooks with her, and then we did a, a cookbook, Lamingtons and Lemongrass, and then the Food Safari series came, and the books that went with that. So so so, how many? Don't be shy. I actually don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but, but but you, but you are so a multi-best-selling... Uh... So
0: I think there were 10 uh, editions of the SBS Eating Guide, as it yeah. um, came to, for Sydney and for Melbourne, so based on SBS's staff. You know, it was that authentic thing. You wanted to eat the good stuff and order the good stuff that wasn't necessarily on the menu. And then the food safari books, I think there's about nine of them. So, yeah, it's been wonderful, absolutely wonderful.
1: It's great when things start from... Uh, totally authentic roots. Have you heard of a thing called tin eats? Yes, of course. And, and it's—I and it's, don't know how we. My, my wife is a is a good cook. Yes, I mean, yeah, en- yeah, Embarrassed for me to say that, but she is. She's a great cook. And and this thing just sort of comes into your life. And and I'm sure she'll end up potentially down the track having a TV series or whatever else. But she started out just doing. You Something know, just, real. just emails of stuff that she makes for her and her mates. And yes, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, her story is is remarkable. It's great. And I think I've been lucky enough with um, certainly the food safari TV shows to tap into um, the Nagis of the world, yes. the unsung heroes of the suburbs. You know, my happiest place is in a kitchen somewhere in the western suburbs with the lace curtains and someone cooking from their heart. Often I'm barefoot because I'm quite tall and I, yeah. you know, I don't want any height differential to be the thing that people look at. I'm there to just help whoever's cooking and talking about food ingredients, c- customs. To just be their best self. And Nigel, most people have never been on TV and they're not just good, but they sparkle.
1: So, so tell us about what is a food safari? You you run them for people who don't know. What, oh, so what, what, food
0: safari is the TV show that yeah. we've done over nine series. Um, Gourmet safaris yes. is my side hustle of many years and uh, came about organically from taking my mother's group out to a Lebanese restaurant in the western suburbs and just loving that experience of taking them into a world that they didn't know, leaving um, the Sydney street and going into this beautiful upstairs room full of beautifully dressed Lebanese people. At this stage, you could only get falafel rolls. So so right. this was a bit of a find. The beautiful mezze dishes, um, the chef coming out of the kitchen. Like One of the dishes was just a soft oregano dressed with olive oil and lemon juice. And you'd have that with labneh and you'd have it with shanklish and you'd have it with the other things. And my mother's group were like, oh my God, this is fantastic. You should do more of this. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, why not? So I started as um, sort of hosted banquet dinners to introduce A group of people to Korean food or Persian food. What a great idea. But you take people abroad, is that right? Well, over the years, it's developed into um, my little secret getaway into places that I love. And the same idea as the TV shows, um, finding great restaurants and great ingredients, fabulous markets, but the visits into people's homes being part of the bedrock of what we do. So yeah, I, i Spend some of my time on the road now, which is great. Well, I've done it for 25 years, actually. I've done it, that TV shows, book writing, three children, Yeah, you know. I
1: I, I, I love where, it's a bit like music, where where, where food can take you, but also the surprises is one of my, it probably is my favourite dish. Uh, It's a dish called baboti that I thought was a... Absolute delicacy because my brother introduced me to it, and then I've got South African mate. He goes, "No, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. no, that is beans on toast. That, it it's is. not. It's not." But for me, if you serve me baboti I'm the happiest man alive. I think it, I'm in a six star restaurant. But for to Alan, my mate, it's yeah. beans on toast.
0: Sort of. I think, um, actually, Ross Lusted, uh, the chef here, uh, did a great baboti for us in the South African food safari. And that spiced oh, mince, it's it's a gorgeous. layered dish of deliciousness. And I'm with you, Nigel. Yum. Yeah. So, so good. It's more than beans on toast. Yeah, good. Yeah. And it's not known in Sydney yet. No. Like I, I love that there are things that we are still to discover. So everybody now knows banh yeah. mi. Well, you know, yeah. that's been, that's, that's wonderful that we do. And, and the layers of our food knowledge here is, is just so exciting. And there are still more things to come. Do yeah. you know what an arepa is?
1: No, I don't.
0: So an arepa is um, a white corn pancake from Colombia. Right, and and I'm starting to see a couple of and you fill them with spicy, you know, pulled pork or you right. know, spicy chicken or whatever. I've seen one on the Gold Coast, and we do a tour in Melbourne to Kazeri Berica and other places, and they have a wrappers. And the minute people have them, it's like yum. Some of them have a layer of um, cheese that just melts to molten. Oh god, they're incredible. Once tasted, yum. Gluten free too. You can make your own. And we filmed that, gosh, you know, eight, nine years ago. So still things to come through and It's find.
1: amazing how, if I look back, I mean, with the greatest of respect and love for my dear mum and dad, it is the cuisine options have, I mean, it's just exploded in a completely beneficial way. That the, the, the options that I had when I was a young bloke at school, I mean, it just, I mean, English food, Yeah, I mean, what is English for? You you know, you need. I mean, we went about ethnic eating. It's not ethnic eating. It's eating. It's eating. You you don't eating across eating full stop. Many cuisines.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now, the the other book that you were potentially going to choose was *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. Oh yes. Why?
0: Oh gosh, I've always been a reader. I love my my kids are readers, and my grandchildren are now, you know, avid readers. Um, That book was just full of great characters and brilliant ideas but I also love that being able to sort of morph between worlds by going into the back of a wardrobe Mm. and I love that in ordinary life there are those back of the wardrobes that that exists for all of us. Um, We're in Sydney, we're in Australia, the best food country on earth. There's lots of ways into Different worlds,
1: I think, but that yeah, food that, being being one of the main food ones. food
0: being one of the main ones. But yeah, I loved the line "The Witch in the Wardrobe," and I read it again as an adult, and I loved that the images in my head were the same that I had as a, as an eight year old. Right, that was that was exciting. Loved that.
1: And so, where did your love of reading come from? Just you picked up a book that a, as a young girl, and oh, you were off
0: for. You know, mum and mum and dad loved. You know, we rented television in the holidays. Right. We were the daggy family that yeah. didn't have the TV. Yeah. We had the library. Um, and mum was a journalist, dad was a compositor. We had just a lovely, ordinary life. And, yeah. and reading was a big part of it. And I've got some of the books that I enjoyed from those early days... Waiting for my grandchildren to be a little old enough to get into maybe Doctor Doolittle, but you know who knows what you love is never necessarily what the next gen does. Strangely, when you go into open homes, um, there are no bookshelves yep. and no books because they're they're messy. They're sort of not part of the minimalist look. Yeah, but uh, yeah, books are books are friends and treasures, aren't they? <laughs>
1: a song and this was fabulous because I I apologise for my ignorance you've chosen Going Back Home uh, by the wonderful Pigram brothers who are actually brothers and it's not two of them there's seven of them There's in, seven in, in of Actually, them. in their family. There's nine of them, yes. uh, as in brothers, but seven of the same family's brothers are a band called the Pigram Brothers, and an amazing song from their saltwater country album, Going Back Home. Hey mom, I can just taste up and race. I'm coming back
0: home to you. Come at the pace of the city life. Be and I love that song because it talks about um, missing home, missing mother's cooking uh, and I love, actually I love the Pigram Brothers and I love where they've come from. They are broom and they've had their recording studio at home. So it is, and it is a broom sound. It is a Creole sound that they have created that is unique to that part of the world. I've also seen them play live at the Luggers in Broome and that's great. And their groupies are so fun because yeah. they really get there and dance. And I saw Alan, uh, my friend, just the other day uh, who was in Sydney and uh, we had a feed, as as he said. This and is Alan, Alan, one of the brothers. Alan Pickram. yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we met them through through filming the story of going back home, of, of mothers cooking and meeting his mum, uh, Agnes, and seeing her cook this fish soup and rice, which is the local fish that the boys would catch. Uh, Big family, big pot, rice, but lemongrass, soy sauce, bit of chilli. So it's that sort of Creole eating as well. It's very much part of Broom, Broom, I find fascinating because it was the most multicultural place in Australia at one stage. It had everybody there while the rest of the country is sort of, you know, largely white. Here were people coming in from Indonesia, from the Philippines, Japanese pearl divers, Chinese merchants. And wow, what a place, what a place to eat. And I loved... Oh gosh, I love Broom. I love it so much. The the sort of red rocks, the turquoise water and and seeing a big extended family together. That's really something.
1: So so the one of the lines in the chorus is hey mum, I can taste your fish soup and rice. I'm coming back home to you.
0: Yes. You've
1: had that fish soup?
0: I've had that fish soup. Is it, and it as it, good it, as the song suggests? It, absolutely. <laughs> Nigel it touches your heart because it's not only made with love. The fish is you know, people talk low food miles as, you know, some <laughs> sort of trendy thing. It is low food miles. Right. Like it's from the beach into the pot and uh, I'm being cooked up. Delicious. I know that uh, Stephen Pigram wrote that after being in Adelaide during a, a winter and just missed, you know, the frangipanis, the warmth and mum's cooking. So it's, a, yeah, it's a, a song with meaning and it's a, it's a great song because, you know, I want to be dreaming in Broom. Yeah. If I could be.
1: So, the chap wrote it about going back to his mum, and the devices. You know, mm. have some of her fish soup and love. Is tell me about your mum?
0: Oh, my mum. So I'm little Maeve. and um, so mum she's, was she had the same name? Yes, but, but without the e. That's right. So I mean, as uh, if uh, anyone's uh, going to notice, it I'm sounds uh, the same. But it, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, it, you know, my teenage rebellion was to put the e on. Because I just felt it looked better. But
1: oh, so you you were you were not so christened with the E? No, no, no. Oh no. look at you you're a punk rocker. <laughs> oh, wow.
0: <laughs> Which caused enormous problems in the passport office many years later. Right. When my youngest child had hidden my passport under her bed because she didn't want me leaving. Terrible. But oh. um, And so I had to apply for a new passport, and the E thing then became a thing.
1: So tell us about the Maeve without the E, your, okay. mu- your mum.
0: So my mum. My mum uh, grew up in Orange. She uh, was a journalist. She worked for the Central Western Daily. This was in the 50s, so this was, you know, she was a bit of a groundbreaker. She did honours in Latin before becoming a journalist, and... She then came down to work at the City Morning Herald. She met my dad, who was a compositor. So she's sort of, you know, he's he's part of the engine room. And my brother and I grew up, you know, the, the sounds, the, the, the hot metal, as it was called. Compositors can sort of read everything backwards and upside down, which is quite a skill. Um, but, yeah, mum and dad met there. Mum was... A really great wordsmith. She loved having things simple but well-written. So a lot of what I've written in my life, she's actually... There's, a, you know, pencil marks of, right. of Big Mave's corrections. Thank God. And I do have to say, Nigel, you know, my parents really helped my life so much. Certainly as grandparents, they gave me the freedom to, to actually have the career that I've been lucky enough to have. By helping look after my children, get their homework done, you know all that stuff that is allows working parents to actually get on with it.
1: I read a really touching obituary of your mum. Re- I was just gorgeous and, and apparently it reminded me of my granny Vi. Uh, she used, her response to everything was, isn't that, isn't that marvelous?
0: Yes. Yes, that and, was and, mum's and great it, phrase. Isn't
1: it marvellous that that was her phrase, isn't it marvellous? And you go... <laughs> yes!
0: What what utter joy, you yeah. know, to to see life in in all its vestiges but know that it's good, it's positive. And that's sort of come down through the generations too. Um, I was at my granddaughter's nativity Christmas thing last night and her teacher said to me, do you know what Arabella said to me today? I said, oh, what? She said... Isn't life exciting? (laughs) (laughs) She's six. And I'm like, yes, there's my mum.
1: Yeah, that is so great. So you see a little toddler and they pick up a stick and they go, wow, it's a stick. (laughs) And and then then you meet some grumpy 33-year-old who's on the same beach and he's got a face like a slapped arse and he's complaining about the traffic. And you go, where did that six-year-old go who's going, isn't it marvellous? Look, I've
0: got a stick. Uh, Something that I know in myself is that I'm still very much a child. Right, and I and I love that. I really don't want to be super duper grown up if I don't have to be. One hundred percent. Yes,
1: <laughs> um, the place. Uh, part of the 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 joy of this uh, format and this challenge is people can respond to it in different ways. Mm. So, so some people, a, a, a lovely lady said her place was in the middle of a sentence. Um, Lane <laughs> Beachley said in the ocean. Yes. Y- y- you know, and you said Greece. I know. So justify yourself. Okay. Tell right. us okay. why you said Greece.
0: I couldn't choose a place in Greece that was more favourite than anything else. But Greece has been um, part of my travelling life since I was 20. So um, finished university, air India overseas, may not come back and the gods eventually brought me to Greece where I spent months and months hopping on boats and uh, in those years women would come down to the docks and meet the ships and you would go and have time in their home. So that that sort of lovely philoxenia, that, that hospitality was part of what made me fall in love. Also, it's beautiful. It's different to hear. Food is great. There's something magical there. So I've kept finding ways to go back and my partner, Toof and I had um, took six months off in twenty nineteen, thank God before yeah. the world changed and just hopped islands so there's there's not a favorite there's friends on many different places. It does sound like a cop out Greece, but like Greece is part of my my year every September, I'm in Greece. And now I've, I've been taking people for twenty years to Greece with my friend Chef Peter Canistis from Poulouse and Alpha Restaurants, and we go to markets. We have a cooking class. Everybody gets their hands on, and it's magic. It is so so lovely. We we go to four different islands and. It's, it's also lovely introducing people to places and tastes that you just know are like, oh, my God, how do we find this place? The only people in a taverna as the sun's setting, the chef has this, uh, this is on Limnos, lobster flamari So lobsters, half each half per person and beautiful pasta from the island. So they grow really good flour there and he does this beautiful rich delicious and you're there by yourself watching the sunset and eating great greek food and like how would you find it luckily it's a bit of journalism Bit yes. Of sort of knitting things together, a lot of friendships that
1: I treasure,
0: and yeah, so so Greece. I'm sorry, it's I don't, broad. Think, it's a, I don't think it's a cop broad. out at all. I think it's
1: wonderful. <laughs> but but I, I think I need off off uh, air. I need your advice on Greek cuisine because it, I've never, it, I, I haven't had a expert, empathetic guide like you into it. So yeah. its so not it isn't. It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't get into my top three cuisines and I suspect that's because I haven't been properly you
0: haven't ed- been to ed- a... you know
1: Greek salad you go oh spare me you go oh, but I'm sure it must be more than yeah, just chopped yeah, up yeah. bloody tomatoes yeah.
0: absolutely yeah but it's the best tomatoes sort of ripen in the sun it's, it's it's what you do with it it's the rigany so the oregano that's sprinkled on right. you know it's you know it's the the wild oregano that goes on the right sort of feta I don't know um, but I think it is actually the secret is being in someone's home yeah There's nothing like it. I remember we filmed years ago, flew into Sajuna to do a story on the Greek fishermen who catch whiting there. And it looks like they're in Greece. But you come in and you think, oh, my God, here's this place on the edge of the desert. Like, why would anybody live there? Three days later, you're like, oh, my God, this is fantastic because people have wrapped you in. That whiting has been on barbecues. They make incredible salads, the baklava, the, you know, oppa. And uh, if, if,
1: in fact, actually, I, I tell a lie because baklava is one of my absolute oh. favourites. So uh, so there you go. I do like. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. yes now, now yeah. you mentioned uh, – oh, I'm so sorry. I would have pronounced his name very wrong. Tooth, did you say? Toofik. Oh, oh, good. Toofik yeah, is how Tufik. I would say it. Yeah, Toofik. I, yeah. I see. Uh, um, uh, how did you meet?
0: So we met as colleagues at SBS. So um, many years ago, he started editing for Food Lovers Guide. Right. And um, Lebanese – we became great friends, and then one fateful day, he said something. I'm like,
1: "Ooh!" <laughs> <laughs> that sort of prickle of, "Ooh!" You must tell me more. And so, so then, how how did you both tiptoe out of the friend zone? Oh, with food, of course. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Actually, I suggested, "Why don't we go to? I, I know there's great place in Bankstown that I want you to try." So, right. yeah, yeah eating, talking. But interestingly, um, I did say to him um, quite early on, oh, why don't you come and see what I do at weekends? This is my gourmet safaris food tours. And uh, I said, oh, look, you know, we've got something on in Punch Bowl this weekend. How will I find you? He said, um, I said, oh, look, I'm sure you'll find us. 20 white people. <laughs> 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 but... What he saw was people being very interested in the building blocks, what pomegranate molasses is, what za'atari is, what sumac is and how to use it well. And that's where the light bulb of the Food Safari TV show sure. came about. So, you know, I'm I'm a journalist but he's very good at um, putting pictures together to tell a rich story, really good ear for music. So, so the magic of the shows that a lot of people have really loved is is what he's put in with the Lebanese love of food and wanting to feed you and feed you visually as well.
1: So it makes me want to ask you, Mm. um, uh, what do you think is the secret ingredient to a successful relationship?
0: Oh, gosh. I think... (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> you weren't expecting that, were you? <laughs> I wasn't expecting
0: that. And immediately I've gone to... Um, Not
1: food. <laughs> no, friends of
0: mum and dad's who'd been married a huge amount of time. And I said, Kevin, what's your what's the secret? And he said, forbearance. And I thought, oh, gosh, I had to then go and look up what forbearance meant. Um, oh, secret to a great relationship. I think just kindness and and warmth and... And laughter and, I guess, getting each other and not worrying about the little things, you know. And as, as we grow older and you need less stuff, you, you zero in on those important things.
1: I love that answer. And there's something in what you said where I asked someone else recently and it really resonated with me. Was If you can treat your partner's uh, faults or whatever lightly. isn't that nice yes it is you you know just just don't make a drama of it absolutely you know to my wife she beaches tea bags you know that drives me up the wall you have a choice when you take the tea bag out of your cup oh you could put it in the thing that we've bought it's a clever invention it's called a bin oh yeah or maybe call me mad the sink or you could leave it on the counter. So how many years have you lived? 32 years, 32. years of beach wow. tea bags. Yeah. And
0: and you now just... I just you now
1: I go, do you know what? There you go. That's fine. That's fine. I'll That's pick fine. it up. I'll put it in the bin. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, Tufig, in the last couple of months, has just bought a cafe and general store and takeaway business on the New South Wales South Coast. So, ah. so we are now part of a new big adventure together where we're holding hands and you're diving You're not slowing in. down, you're speeding up. Oh, no, 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 no. Very exciting. So tomorrow I'm going to collect um, all the ingredients from a lot of our friends in the western suburbs, some good Lebanese bread, some yeah. spices, some chickpeas, etc. and we'll just bit by bit, you know, be... A more and more interesting cafe, How but,
1: and what's, oh, it but, but, what's, what's it
0: called? We've called a beach safari. Beach Safari's one. sort of been my lucky word yeah. for a long time, but um, yeah. So, so this is literally just
1: happening now. Well, congratulations! Thank and you. Good luck.
0: Yes, yeah. So, the secret to a great relationship, I don't. <laughs> don't know. open a cafe. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's uh, it's fun having adventures together. That's wonderful. Yeah,
1: yeah. So we're coming on to your fifth and final choice on mm. Five My Life, uh, which is The Possession. Uh, and you have chosen a Zachariah Fielding artwork. Would you please describe it and tell us why you've chosen it?
0: So Zachariah Fielding is one of the great talents of the artistic world in Australia, I think, at the moment. Um artist, musician, uh, half of Electric Fields, please find that music. It is extraordinary because you hear Aboriginal language sung so beautifully, it just touches your heart. And the paintings, the paintings are actually songs on canvas. And um, so my... Painting is like two meters by two meters, and it's vibrant in in blues and oranges. I do love colour, and it's in my kitchen. So our lives are lived with this beautiful exuberant work, which also has uh, copper details that that shine in different lights. I just love it, and I love that I've got a painting in my kitchen and. Uh, and i love the ability to you know be able to have some beautiful art around i don't have expensive furniture i don't have a lot of stuff but paintings sculptures i we've been buying and and love that they're sort of part of our landscape the name
1: your last name not your first uh, extra e first omara name. omara uh, your Cousin is a big cheese in that world, or
0: Sky O'Mara is one of my great latest discoveries. The O'Mara is a family that keeps on giving, so yeah. she has pretty much set up the APY art collective with a lot of the um indigenous uh elders of the APY lands in the far northwest of South Australia. Right. I'm longing to go there.
1: And and what is is an art collective? Sorry for my my ignorance. Oh,
0: it is. um, It's a gallery, but it's also a space where the artists work. So um, I've been there. The artists are singing. They're working on these enormous canvases. I met Zachariah, who's fabulous, flamboyant, you know, dreads, headscarf, long fingernails, painting these beautiful works, and also um, artists doing dot paintings and... And so these paintings are going off around the world. Right. Sky, uh, I think, did an arts degree or art history degree. Managed to just meet the right people. Ended up living in on the lands for ten years. Right. Speaks fluent Pitjantjara, and has really championed the artists that 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 have come together in the art collective. She is an extraordinary woman. There's a beautiful gallery not far from where we're speaking. Right. So they've got galleries in Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, and they're sending work around the world,
1: and, and, and Zachariah is part is, of her. What part... a small connected world!
0: I know, yeah. I know, and I love that. Uh, I, I met not just Zachariah, but Sally and Alfie, and uh, some of the other younger artists there yeah. too. And I do tours to South Australia, so we can go in through the door in the back of the wardrobe, yes, and go into. Um, see the artists working and, and hear their stories and see these beautiful, colourful things. And I love that I've got one, I hope to have more, but the Indigenous world in Australia and uh, i been so lucky to have spent time with people, cooking as well, there's, yeah. certainly, there's always yeah. the food aspect, but um, so much for us to, to learn and discover,
1: so I'm glad you mentioned uh, his music because um, I, in, in researching for this conversation, uh, w- one of the performances I just adored was his version of From Small Things, um, Big Things yes. Grow. Yes. And I- I- in, in traditional language. Yes. And, and you go, wow, just a... Just a wow. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah.
0: I saw them play um, at the opening of the new wing of the art gallery in the Domain, Warm Air, and here's this incredible music. Oh, Nigel, just the best!
1: Now there is a six choice on Five of My Life, mm. which is the guest you are one of them. Which is the guest <laughs> that you would like to hear on Five of My Life next, and and why?
0: I think Sky O'Mara would be ah, right. an amazing guest for you. She uh, has has lived a really interesting life so far and she's not very old at all she's at the peak of her her powers and i think you would love to sort of hear where she's gone where she's going and explore some of that you know uh, the 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 landscape that she was used to for 10 years in the in the lands i think um and now she's in adelaide so i will put you in touch with her because i think she'd be incredible well, thank you
1: well listen I, I have really enjoyed hearing your your zest for life the lens that you look uh, at life through and, and it's been a real privilege and pleasure hearing you discuss your choices so thank you may for coming on to Find my life
0: thank you nigel life is
1: exciting <laughs> Have you ever felt like you were failing and letting the people around you down? I certainly have. Gosh, when I had four young kids under the age of six and a stressful job in a high-pressure industry, I constantly felt like that. And I worked really, really, really hard at trying to not. But I, I just couldn't sort all the problems. Just whatever I did, I made that person happy and that person wasn't happy. I sorted that part of the firm and another part of the firm was unhappy or one of my kids was fine and another one wasn't. It just seemed that life was a constant stream of problems for me to deal with and it was sort of overwhelming. And then wind forward a few years and a friend of mine, Justin, saved my career and in some ways saved my life by saying, Nigel, Business and life is constant whitewater. And just like that, it totally changed my perspective and my life. I stopped viewing my job as to eradicate there being problems in my life. And instead, I thought of my job as to deal with problems. That's a completely different thing. So it's the acceptance that whatever you do, life is going to dump ridiculous problems in your lap, not of your creation, some of your creation, some not of your creation. And your job, rather than moan about the fact that why have I got this problem, is how can I calmly and positively and effectively deal with the problem that's just been dumped in my lap? And there's always going to be one. You're going to wake up and you're going to clean your teeth and there's going to be a whole bunch of problems dumped in your lap. Guaranteed. If there aren't, you're in a box underground. And it stopped me taking having problems personally. I haven't got these problems because I'm an idiot or I'm a useless CEO or I'm a useless husband or a useless father. I've got these problems because that's life. Life is constant whitewater. So it actually got to the stage, without being poly about this, I'm not saying, oh, I welcome the problems or the problems are great. No, 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 no. The problems are rubbish and I wish I didn't have them. But there's no choice not to have them, that I would Almost enjoy the process of testing myself on how calm and positive effective I can be in dealing with the problem. You know, when the tire falls off your car, you know, running down the road and shouting at the tire and bursting into tears isn't helping anybody. How can I calmly pick up the tire and put it back on the car? So I hold an image in my mind of a deep blue ocean on the coast of Africa, where a muddy brown river is going into the ocean. And near the coast, the ocean is muddied because the the, the muddy water is going into the ocean. But about 500 metres outside the coast, it's blue again because the ocean has soaked up the river. So without wanting to be too pretentious about it, just trying to be the ocean. And some of my guests, if, I don't know, you take Antony Albanese, you can't be the Prime Minister of the country, do you really think he gets up and he has a problem-free day? Of course he doesn't. There's always problems. If you take another one of my guests, CEO Brad Banducci, he, he runs Woolworths. He's got 200,000 employees. I can guarantee every single day of his life there will be someone, a customer or an employee, really, really pissed off about something and he has to sort it out. There is no other option. And that brings me on to my next guest, Eddie Jones you go well you know try being the coach of the wallabies in a world cup year when you've only been given three months to sort it out so i recommend you tune in to see how he deals not only with pressure but how he deals with the five of my life challenge